May the words of my mouth and meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. The woman had spent all her money on physicians who could not help her. I'm guessing she even tried ancient charms. One was carrying around excuse me, carrying around ashes in an ostrich egg, I couldn't get that word out, wrapped in linen cloth, carrying it around with her every day, hoping that that magic charm might work. This one might gross you out, but I'm guessing she tried it as well, because it's recorded in the Talmud, that she would go and search through donkey dung to find a barley stalk and carry that around with her for days upon end, because that charm was promised to bring her health. But it didn't work either. One thing was sure, life could not go on like this forever. Something had to change. She had to do something to make a difference in her life. Her purse was empty, her soul was more empty. And she was trying upon everything that she knew to find something that would change her life. Because this was more than just a health issue. It was a religious issue. It was a friendship issue. Because of this, this health problem that she had, she could not go to worship. She was barred from going to the temple by Levitical law. Friends were not allowed to have association with her because they would be contaminated. And let's face it, after 12 years, there probably weren't many friends left. And I think that's when it hit her that desperate times call for desperate measures. The other story is about a man named Jairus, whose little girl one day is out playing hopscotch, the next day she's lying in a bed at death's door. I think that fear gripped his heart, as it would any parent. His little girl, only 12 years old, and here she is, about to die. I'm sure he is what's called the ruler of the synagogue. He is the most important person in town. He's probably the wealthiest person in town. And he's called in every physician that he can to help his daughter. And they all tell him the same thing. There's nothing that can be done. And I think that he might have even said, I'll pay whatever it, costs, whatever it takes. I'll pay it. No, it doesn't matter the cost. Just tell me whatever it takes to make my daughter well. And I think somewhere along the line, some physician must have said to Jairus, even if you had all the money in the world, You could not buy for your daughter one more minute. And I think that's when it hit him. Desperate times call for desperate measures. If you've never been there, you should count yourself blessed. Because in most people's lives, there comes one time or another when desperation sets in. I mean, maybe it's a health issue like it is in the gospel story today between this woman or Jairus dealing with his daughter. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's somebody that you love. Or maybe it's a career move. You're in a job that you hate and you just got to get out of it. If you don't, you're going to feel like you're just going to die. Or, or maybe there's a financial crisis. There's just too many bills at the end of the month. Or, or maybe it's a relationship disaster. You love him. He doesn't love you. You love her. She doesn't love you back. Maybe it's a sustenance issue. Do you know that there are 20,000 children who will die today, today, from starvation or starvation-related diseases in our world? Can you imagine the desperation of their parents this moment? Maybe it's an emotional issue. 
you know, depression that sets in and there's a deep, dark hole and you just don't know how you'll get out of it. I don't know what sort of evil has stalked you or will stalk you. Maybe you don't know. But if you haven't faced it yet, someday you will. Perhaps you caught a little bit of this in the psalm this morning. Did you? Will you take your bulletin and look at it with me? In, in, on page 6 in, in the bulletin, today's psalm, the 130th psalm, De Profundus, out of the depths I have called to you. This is how it begins. Out of the depths I have called to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears consider well the voice of my supplication. Most translations have it, out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. The difference is really in the way that you would translate this verb and its, its intensity. Around my house, we call people to supper. In fact, well, my wife calls people to supper. I never call anybody to supper. But she calls, you know, Joe, it's time to eat. You know, boys, it's time for supper. And, and around our house, we come running because we know the first one to the table gets the biggest piece of chicken. And so it's a, it's a fight to get up there. You know, you've probably been there. You call people when you want their attention. You cry out to people when you're desperate for it. And this is the way the psalmist, out of the depths I cry to you, O God. Listen three times. Listen to me. Hear my voice. Pay attention to me. The psalmist is pounding. God, I need you to listen to me. The image, out of the depths, is, is like out in the middle of the ocean. Imagine, imagine if you would, in your mind's eye, a person out in the middle of the ocean, no life preserver, no boats around, nobody. He's just floating on the waves. Imagine his desperation as the waves get higher and higher, rougher and rougher. And he begins to cry out, help me. There's nobody to cry out to. So he directs his attention upward. God, help me. I'm drowning down here. Out of my deepest despair, St. John Chrysostom says, this, this could be translated, out of my deepest despair I cry to you. Eugene Peterson in the message does this, Help me, God. The bottom has fallen out of my life. I think it's so fitting that this psalm goes with this gospel lesson today. For hundreds of years, this psalm and this gospel go together. Because I think of all the people Jesus met in his years of ministry, none were more desperate than the two people that we meet in the gospel story today. This woman and this man named Jairus. The story as it appears in Mark is basically unchanged from Matthew and Luke's versions. Only this little bit. You know that uh, of the three Gospels, Mark is by far the shortest, right? Only 16 chapters. Matthew 28, Luke 24. But if you looked at the story, you would see that, that Matthew only uses 138 words in the original Greek to tell this. Mark or Luke rather uses a little bit more, 287. Mark, the shortest Gospel uses 373 words to tell the very same story. And I know what you're thinking. Joe, did you really count all those words? Yes, I did. Okay. 373 times almost as many as Matthew uses. The shortest gospel uses three times as many words as the longest gospel to tell this story. The reason, I think, is because Mark tells Peter's version. The gospel of Mark could be called the gospel of St. Peter, Mark was Peter's friend. He, uh, he was a close companion. I think he tells Peter's version. And I think Peter, more than anybody, understands what it's like to be desperate. He understands desperation. 
And so I think his details are a little bit more. Uh, something else about this, feature, about this story is, um, is the story always begins and ends the same way. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it begins with Jairus. Wealthy man, daughter sick, he runs up to Jesus and falls down in front of him. On the way to Jairus' house, Jesus is interrupted by a woman who comes up and sneaks up and touches him. And then it ends the same way. She's healed, and they continue on to Jairus' house where, they, um, where, they, where Jesus goes in and heals Jairus' daughter. And so, be, by telling it the same exact way in all three gospel stories, it, it, it begs us to do a sort of contrast comparison. And so, let's look at a few of these, the, the few of these similarities. The first one is that they're both healing stories, right? Both are healing stories, the woman and this child. Both women are actually healed. Both stories deal with the healing of a woman, one uh, 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 an adult woman and one a young woman, a child. Both women are ritually unclean when Jesus heals them. Uh, one because of this problem with the menstruation, the other one because she's dead. Contact with either one of them would have caused Jesus to be ritually unclean. One of them is called daughter by Jairus. The other is called daughter by Jesus. Both are daughters. But there's some interesting contrast, too. Jairus, as I said, is a synagogue ruler, an important religious leader. This woman has been excommunicated for 12 years. She is, she is obscure, unknown, unclean. They're the opposite ends of the religious spectrum. Jairus is wealthy. The woman is penniless. Jairus has enjoyed the last 12 years with his daughter. The woman has lived in misery for the same 12 years. Jairus runs up to Jesus in front of everybody, falls down on his face, humiliates himself in front of everyone in order to save his daughter. The woman sneaks through the crowd and just grabs hold of the hem of Jesus' garment, not wanting to be seen. One other similarity, though. Both are desperate and both walk away assured that God cares about them. I think this this story deserves more than a homily. I mean, it deserves more than that. It it deserves us to go over to, to Caribou and, and pull this thing out in, in three or four versions and a Greek text and sit there and, and hammer over this for a few hours. So we're all gonna no, we're not. Um, but we could and and we could we could probably not really even then touch the top of what it means. But this much is sure. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell this story and they want us to know this. That God cares about our pain. He cares about our pain no matter who we are. Man or woman. Rich or poor. Child or adult. I remember one of my children one time causing a ruckus when I was out visiting a parishioner. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, you know, settle down kid. You know how they do. You know, he's climbing on her furniture and jumping off the stuff and I'm thinking I should not have brought him with me and uh, you know uh, she it was an elderly lady who was sick and I thought it was a good pastoral visit maybe a child would cheer her up and and he was just doing like they do you know and uh, and, and uh, she looks at me and she can tell I'm distressed this woman her name is Ruby and she said to me you know pastor sometimes we forget that their problems are as big to them as ours are to us she's absolutely right Easy for adults to forget that problems are as big to a child as they are to an adult. 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke want us to know it doesn't matter, rich or poor, man or woman, male or female, child or adult, God cares for us. And that when we cry from the depths of our despair, God hears us. I don't know about you, but um, a Christmas Eve ritual that I used to perform, you know, when boys were little, uh, every year, is I'm putting together a bicycle or a hobby horse or a whatever, you know, when I, at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm putting a part on and I'm taking it off and putting something else back on and taking it off and putting something else back on. And, and my wife would look at me and say to me eventually, you know, Joe, when all else fails, you could read the instructions. <sighs> you know, quiet, who's talk- go to bed. You know, Santa's not going to come if you don't go to sleep. Uh, you know, I do. I think Matthew, Mark, and Luke want to say to us today, you know, when all else fails, you can cry out to God. And he hears you. And he cares. In the late 19th century, uh, Horatio Spafford was this, um, this well-known uh, uh, Chicago attorney. He was, um, he was very uh, influential in Chicago. He was, he was wealthy, had a beautiful home, a wife, four daughters, and a son. Um, he was also a devout Christian man. His circles of friends included some of the most well-known clergymen of his day. And at the very height of his professional and financial success, his wife Anna and he lost their youngest son to scarlet fever. Their only son died scarlet fever. Shortly after that, the great Chicago fire destroyed you know, most of the city and it wiped out all of his real estate holdings. He was so devastated from these you know, things that he said to his family, we need to take a vacation. We're all going to Europe. And so he bought tickets and planned to go to Europe. But at the very last moment, um, some business issues came up and that required him to stay. He told his wife, take the girls, get on a boat, go to London. I'll catch up with you in a little bit. They're on, uh, on the ship and um, the, their ship collided with some other ship and there was a, 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 the, the boat sank. 226 people died in this, um, this boat collision. When his wife Anna arrived in London, she sent Horatio uh, a telegram. Just two words in the telegram. Saved alone. His four daughters died in that shipwreck. He got himself together, boarded a ship, headed to London. And on his way to London, he wrote this poem that became a hymn. When peace... Like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. The second stanza says, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control, that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate, and hath shed his own blood for my soul. The very last stanza, a man who has now lost five children, most of his wealth, he knows the devastation that his wife has had to suffer without him by her side. The last stanza of the poem that he wrote goes like this, And Lord, haste the day when the face shall be sight. Clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. Even so, 
it is well with my soul. What Horatio Spafford knew, what Matthew, Mark, and Luke want us to know, is that sometimes God steps in and, and, and stops the desperation. He, stops, he steps in and changes the course of our events. And sometimes he does not. But no matter what, at the very end, God himself will wipe away every tear. And he himself will dry every eye. And he himself will set everything back to rights. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.